Morning Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butter in Washington. Today is Monday, August 15th. And here are some of the stories we are covering. At least 41 people died in a fire at a Coptic church in Cairo. People shouted and screamed as the fire raged on the top floors of the martyr Abu Sefain church. Many of the victims were children. Kenyans continue to eagerly await final results of their August 9th presidential election. Mali's military government makes an about-face on Minusman troops. The president of Eswatini's National Association of Teachers is summoned to appear before the country's Teaching Service Commission today, Monday. Sierra Leone's main opposition party denies any role in last Wednesday's deadly protest. We will not support anything that will disrupt the peace and security of our country. We're a law-abiding party and we've always called on our supporters and members to respect the rule of law. And Solomon Rushdie's agent says the writer who was attacked on Friday has been taken off a ventilator. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley Sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. health ministry says 41 people were killed when a fire broke out in a Coptic church in the heavily populated Cairo suburb of Mbaba. Witnesses say the fire started following a short circuit in an air conditioning unit. Edward Uranian reports for VOA from Cairo. People shouted and screamed as the fire raged on the top floors of the martyr Abu Sefain church. Witnesses say it took firefighters three hours to arrive at the scene. Many of the victims were children. Egyptian media, quoting eyewitnesses, reported that the fire started after a power outage at the church caused an electrical generator to turn lights and air conditioning units on, triggering a short circuit in one of them. Prime Minister Mustafa Madbouli, along with General Ahmed Rashid, the governor of the Giza province where the church is located, went to the scene of the fire. They presented the government's condolences along with pledges to help the families of the victims. Madbouli says he and members of his government inspected the site of the fire and are prepared to pay 100,000 Egyptian pounds to the families of those who died and 20,000 pounds to families of those who were injured, in addition to providing top-notch treatment to victims who were hospitalized. 100,000 Egyptian pounds would be about $5,214. 20,000 pounds would be just over $1,000. Authorities have also pledged to set up technical and engineering committees to investigate the cause of the fire. Egyptian political sociologist Saeed Sadiq tells VOA that the church is located in a neighborhood full of narrow streets and alleyways. The area was a battle zone between government forces and Islamic militants in 1990. Coptic churches are usually located in very poor areas, uh, overcrowded, and uh, this is Sunday service, by the way, and that's why a high toll. Because they exist in overcrowded area, usually alleys, separate defense and fire brigades cannot reach it that quickly. 
So this is a problem. The incident came nine years to the day government security forces evacuated a Muslim Brotherhood sit-in camp in the north of Cairo, resulting in a large number of casualties. Edward Uranian for VOA News, Cairo. Kenyans are eagerly looking to the country's Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission to announce the results of their August 9th presidential election. Viewers Vincent Mankori in the Kenyan capital Nairobi tells me that the race between the two leading candidates, Raila Odinga and Deputy President William Ruto, is too close to call. However, Vincent says it appears that Ruto's political alliance is close to getting a majority of seats in the parliament. The Electoral Commission continues to tabulate, uh, verify, and uh, announce the results from the different polling centers across the country. But uh, what we know is that up to this point, it's still not easy for any of us to outrightly say that one or the other is leading because uh, the Electoral Commission is saying that we've got to wait until the very end and they'll give us the total numbers. So while the newspapers, uh, they have kind of tried to put all those numbers together based on the results from the different polling centers, I wouldn't want to say so-and-so is leading. What we know, though, is that the results for members of parliament, senate, and governors, most of them are actually almost all. The indication is that um, the coalition led by Mr. William Ruto might be heading towards having control of parliament. But for presidential, we're yet really to get the final numbers, and everybody's very cautious as they wait for the time to come. The deadline is Tuesday by law. Vincent, President Uhuru Kenyatta came out in support of Raila Odinga during the campaign. Based on the results so far, how much impact do you think this support is having? In fact, you might say it did not have much impact. Now, what you would have expected is that it would have delivered for him, especially the votes from his very vote-rich central Kenya region. But um, it didn't happen. In fact, uh, Mr. William Ruto swept the entire, we call it the mountain region, the central part of Kenya, where Mr. Kenyatta comes from. It seems that uh, based on what we're reading also, that women candidates made inroads during this election. Women candidates have performed quite well. Some of the counties have seen women governors being uh, elected, women senators, uh, women members of parliament, and so they have performed very impressively. In fact, in one county, the Nakuru County, they elected a woman for governor position, they elected a woman for senate position, they elected a number of women for members of parliament. So it's like that particular county, the leadership is majority women. Listen, thank you so much again. We do always appreciate your commentary. Thank you very much. James, thank you. That viewer is Vincent Mankore speaking from the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. In Sierra Leone, the leader of the opposition All People's Congress, the APC, in parliament says his party believes in the rule of law and does not support violent protest. Turner Majuba says the APC has always instructed its members to be law-abiding. Demonstrations against the high cost of living turned violent and deadly last Wednesday in the capital Freetown and other parts of the country. Police and the army patrolled the streets of Freetown on Sunday, assuring citizens that all was calm. President Julius Madabio last Friday accused the opposition APC and the People's Progressive Party of attempting to overthrow his government. Information Minister Mohamed Rahman Soare told VOA last Friday 
that the protest was an insurrection planned and financed by politicians who he did not name. Opposition parliamentary leader Majuba tells me the APC welcomes the government's call for an independent investigation into the protest before casting aspersions. We will not support anything that will disrupt the peace and security of our country. We're a law-abiding party and we believe in the rule of law. And that is what we have been doing all this while since we lost elections since 2018. Many things have happened with us, but um, we believe in the rule of law. And we've always called on our supporters and members to respect the rule of law and abide by the dictates of what our law provides. So definitely we are not and we will never be behind such activities. So why do you think President Madabio is accusing the opposition of trying to overthrow his government? Well, basically, these are all assertions coming from them, and uh, we don't know what the reasons are. But one thing that has come out very clear from the president, the minister, the vice president, and many others, is that they are going to launch an independent investigation into the whole issue. So if you're launching an independent investigation, it's better we wait for the independent investigation before we start casting as passions. Otherwise, we'll be working from answer to some rather than from some to answer. What do you make of the nature of the protest? Uh, the, anything that results to violence, we will not support and I will not support particularly. We will not be part of anything that is violent. So it's unfortunate we've lost security people, most of the police. We've lost citizens, um, civil citizens. Innocent lives have gone, and just one life is very, very important. So it's pathetic, it's sad. That is why we continue to pray for their souls to rest in peace whilst we commiserate with their survivors, their families. But definitely nobody in his right mind is happy with what happened on Wednesday the 10th. So just like the APC, just any reasonable Sierra Leonean will not support that and will not be happy with what happened. The protesters said their action or their demonstration was about the high cost of living. Let me hear from you as an opposition. What is your take on the stake? On the... Well, basic, no, no, basically that's what we heard from the various interviews that we have conducted because we have not had the opportunity to interface with the protesters. I was in Parliament on Wednesday in the morning when we heard about what was going on and we had to leave and rush back to our different houses. As I was saying, the protesters claim they're protesting because of the cost of living. So I, I'm asking, what's your take? How do you see the cost no, of living? No, no, but the cost of living is high, definitely. And even the government themselves acknowledge that fact. It is not, nothing new. It's not strange. Everybody is speaking with one voice that things are difficult. The government has blamed the COVID. They've blamed the war between Russia and Ukraine that has squeezed the supply chain, etc. But the bottom line is that um, things are difficult. Things are really difficult. It is very nice to talk with you on Daybreak Africa. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, too. Colonel Majuba is the leader of the Opposition All People's Congress in Parliament. He was speaking with us from the capital, Freetown. listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Barty, Washington. Today is Monday, August 15th. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. It appears the military government in Mali has made an about-face on its decision last month to suspend rotations of all military personnel belonging to the United Nations mission in Mali, also known as MINUSMA. In announcing the interruption last month, 
The junta cited Mali's national security concerns. Now, the junta announced on Sunday that it has informed MINUSMA to resume troop rotations beginning today, Monday, with new approval mechanisms. Political analyst Ibrahim Khan tells me that the military government's about face is based on the realization that it is losing control of security to rebels who have recently been increasing their attacks around the country. The decision of the Mali government tells a lot about their own analysis of the current uh, security situation in the country. They are no longer in total control of the country. Attacks are coming from everywhere. You know, recently people uh, used to see all the problems in the middle of the countries. But now, and more and more, the rebel groups are everywhere in the country. They are attacking places near Bamako. They are attacking places in the south of the country. They are everywhere. What role do you think the German decision to postpone operation? Yeah, no, the, the German has uh, have stopped the collaboration with it because Germany was helping to train the Mali forces. Germany was also continuing to play an important role. You know, uh, the French at some point decided to really urge all the European countries to come and support, you know, the work that it was doing in Mali. When the crisis erupted between the Mali government and the French government, the Malian government even stopped the Danish, for example, from continuing to to operate in the country. But the Germans still continue to operate in the country. I think this is now just the time where the Germans have decided not to continue the collaboration with the Malian army. Of course, the fate of these 49 Ivorian soldiers is still hanging in the balance. Where are we in terms of getting them back to Ivory Coast? It's still a problem, and uh, uh, there are negotiations uh, going on. And in that negotiation, the uh, Togolese president is really trying to do his best to at least to reach an agreement between the two countries, but it's not. I think the the situation is really complicated for the Ivorian government because at the beginning they they wanted to stop, you know, to make sure that uh, these 49 people comes back early. But I think there is a negotiation going on. We don't know what is the basis of the negotiation, but what we know for sure is that uh, the Mali government is uh, really trying to make sure that uh, for this time the Ivorian have to give them convincing explanation on what these uh, 49 people were doing in their country. Ibrahima, thank you so much. We always do appreciate your analysis. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ibrahim Khan is the Senegalese political analyst. He was speaking with us from the capital, Dakar. In Eswatini, in formerly Swaziland, the president of the Swaziland National Association of Teachers says he is being summoned to appear before the Teaching Service Commission today, Monday, to explain why he instructed his teachers not to go to school last Tuesday. Mbongwa Dramini told VOA last week that he advised teachers not to go to school for their own safety. This, after a group calling itself the Swaziland International Solidarity Forces, called for the closure of schools to protest the continued incarceration of two members of parliament. The group also threatened to retaliate if security forces used force against the protesters. The chair of the Eswatini Teaching Service Commission has denied he will fire Mbongwa. However, Mbongwa Dramini tells me that he considers the summons as one step closer to his termination. Remember last week, Monday, 
schools were not operating Monday and Tuesday after a voice from a certain commander who said he commanded a certain group of uh, solidarity forces. He said that teachers are not supposed to go to school. If they go to school, so there the possibility of them being shot. So as a president, I had to advise teachers against going to school for mm-hmm. their safety. So uh, the National Commissioner said, I have to show them the command because maybe I'm getting instruction from the commander. They're saying, I'm going to explain to them why did I have to stop teachers from going to school. I have to meet them on Monday, 11 a.m. But did you stop the teachers from going to school? I said teachers should withdraw themselves from work if the place has got some element of danger or is imposing some danger into their life. Because from a past experience, a number of teachers had their properties burned and some of them were pelted with stones. So we've, I said to them uh, it is best for them to remain at home while we assess the situation uh, because the ministry assured us that they are going to provide security. But at the moment we are worried because the security that they are talking about is the police. The police even themselves, they don't even attempt to accidents, even if you can have accidents. When you call them, they say they are afraid because they are also being shot. I'm reading an article in the Swaziland Times, and the chair of the Teaching Service Commission is denying that uh, they want to fire you. Has anyone indicated to you that you might be fired? I have been served with a letter last week Wednesday uh, of complaints, and they said I should show cause why I should not be disciplined. And then the letter is supposed to, sub- to reply on Monday. Those are steps towards taking disciplinary action. So how can they deny now? After they've started the process, how can they deny? So the fact that they ask you to provide justification, you consider that to be a step towards uh, firing you? Yeah, that's what they're intending to do. Thank you so much again. It's so nice to talk with yeah. you. Okay, thank you. Bongo Adramini is president of the Swaziland National Association of Teachers. You are speaking with us from the capital, Mbabani. Salman Rushdie's agent says the writer, who was attacked on Friday after spending years of being under threat of a fatwa, is on the slow road to recovery. Rushdie was taken off a ventilator on Sunday. The author of the Satanic Verses, which fictionalized parts of the life of the Prophet Muhammad with images that offended some Muslims, was stabbed about 10 times by a New Jersey man at a gathering in western New York. Pen America, of which Rajdi is a former president, is a nonprofit that works to define free expression globally by advancing literature and human rights. Drew Manica, the chief operating officer of Pen, tells viewers Carol Van Dam that the Pen staff is enormously relieved to learn that Rajdi is out of danger. Has been reported to be, um, as his agent put it, exhibiting his feistiness and defiant sense of humor. Um, which is good news for all of us. It's been an incredibly shocking and worrying time, and to, there's no doubt a long road ahead uh, with the injuries that he apparently has sustained. But I think we can count on him to put up the fight and also to, re, you know, we can only hope rejoin us in the campaign as a champion for free expression rights that he has been such so much at the forefront of. You know him as a man. What can you tell us about Salman Rushdie, the man, what he stood for? Well, everyone at Pan America has seen him as an incredible ally. He has never allowed himself to be 
defined as a person uh, under threat. It would be fully understandable for him to have withdrawn from the public stage, but he chose not to let that danger define him as a writer or as a citizen of the world. Instead, he stood as a champion of free speech and of creative expression. I think, you know, we all know that he kept writing. First and foremost, he understood the power of literature to explore ideas, to press against orthodoxies, to encourage empathy and debate. But of course, always using words, only words. And I think that's very key. Uh, at Pen America, he became the president uh, of our organization in 2004. Pen America had stood by him uh, while he was under threat, and he came forward uh, as he began to emerge from the most protective part of the time that he's been uh, under the fatwa. Um, you know, when he became president of Pen America in 2004, he wanted to be sure to be able to do for writers what we had done organizationally in support of him and what other writers had stood for him and be able to work to protect writers elsewhere who were under threat and to campaign for free expression rights more broadly and globally. That was Drew Menaka, Chief Operating Officer for PEN America. She was speaking from Nyack, New York, with my colleague Carol Van Dam. Now for Daybreak Africa's posting, here is Samson O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports with the news that the draws for the under-23 African Cup of Nations qualifiers will take place on Thursday, 18th of August, 2022 in Cairo. The CAF under-23 African Cup of Nations Morocco 2023 is scheduled to take place in June 2023 in Morocco and will serve as qualifying tournament to the Summer Olympics Paris 2024. 39 member associations will take part in the African qualifiers. Morocco have automatically qualified as host to the final tournament. In Africa women's football, Green Buffaloes has dethroned Mamelodi Sundowns ladies in the Kosafa Cup Women's Champions League qualifiers. It took the Zambian side sudden death to fend off the defending champions in the regional with a 6-5 winning score after the match ended in a goalless stalemate. The match finished nil-nil after 120 minutes and both sides still looked determined to be crowned queens of the South of Africa. And now to the English Premier League, where a first-half goal from Nigeria international Taiwo Awoni was enough to earn Nottingham Forest a 1-0 win over West Ham United on Sunday, their first victory of the new Premier League season as the city ground hosted top-flight soccer for the first time since 1999. Also on Sunday, Senegalese international Kaludu Kulobali got onto the scorer's sheet as his 19th-minute goal helped secure a 2-2 draw for Chelsea against Tottenham Hotspur and the Premier League, which means the Senegalese international equaled a club record that has stood for 16 years. Earlier on on Saturday, Super Eagles Nigeria forward Joe Aribo scored his first goal for his new club Southampton in their 2-2 comeback draw against Leeds United. Aribo, who joined the Saints from Rangers of Scotland, came off the bench to score the first of their two goals in the draw at home. And in transfer news with the Premiership, Nottingham Forest have completed the £20 million signing of Nigerian striker Emmanuel Dennis from Watford and have brought in former Crystal Palace midfielder and Senegal's Chikal Coyote on a free transfer. Both deals were announced late on Saturday. 
In cricket news, Kashrav Maharaj and Ayabonga Haka were named the 2021-2022 South Africa Men's and South Africa Women's Cricketer of the Year at the Cricket South Africa's virtual awards ceremony, which was held on Sunday evening. Both cricketers were also voted as favourites to claim the South Africa Men and South Africa Women's Players Player of the Year awards. And now to basketball news. Mali reclaimed their FIBA under-18 Women's African title after showing their class in their 86-54 blowout victory over defending champions Egypt in the final of the 2022 FIBA Under-18 Women's African Championship on Saturday in Madagascar. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, August 15th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for starting your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the entire Daybreak Africa crew, I'm James Barty in Washington, wishing you will have an amazing week.